So 2 Kings 22 is where we're going to be. Um, but I think this is, this is such a funny, I say it's a coincidence. I knew God was going to throw this together. But I have the beautiful responsibility of also watching our high school students and our middle school students as well. And I remember going to youth group. I started going to youth group in high school. Um, there was no parent with me. Like my mom didn't like walk me in. I was like, you know, for you like preschool teachers and stuff or like, like grade teachers, like the parents walk their kids in like first day of school and it's all cute and they're crying because their kids now having a backpack on and all these things. And, and, and all of a sudden I started hanging out in our high school and all of a sudden it was like first day of school. All of a sudden there's like these, these girls could power a whole city with how much they shake walking through the front door. And then there's mom just like, all right, who's the pastor? This is my child. I need you to find her friends. What? Like, how old is she? Am I missing something? Like, should she be with Miss Kim in, in kids' ministry? Like, what's happening here? But more and more, this, like, social anxiety of literally, like, because we, don't, we might not know people, like, we just don't go places. Right? Like, my mom's like, youth group? Cool. Get out the car. <laughs> like, get in there and make friends. Right? Like, it's just... It's a whole different world. And so what I think, honestly, what has happened, because it's happened in here before, it's happened in college groups when I was in college group, all of a sudden we're bringing like, hey, are you going to go tonight? No, nah, I'm not feeling well. All right, like I'm not going to go either then. Hey, are you going? No, I'm going to a different place. Oh, okay, I guess I don't know what I'll do. And then you have anxiety and hang up, right? Like we all of a sudden, if we don't have comfort blankets called people, right, we just avoid everything that is social, And so I started, I started researching as we started talking about deconstruction and questioning our faith and, and, and where the drop-off happens from youth group to college group, right? Where it drops off from being a kid in church to being an adult in church. And Lifeway, I love Lifeway. Some things they do are weird. A lot of things they do is good, and research is one of them. They do a lot of good in research. And this was Lifeway's research. They said that 66% of who said they stopped going to church regularly as young adults cited various reasons for leaving. The survey listed 55 people, and, or 55 reasons, and asked them to pick all that applied. On average, they chose seven or eight research uh, reasons, they said. And here's the reasons, and here's a percentage of them. Nearly 96%. Nearly 96% cited life change, meaning they moved to college, their work responsibilities changed or prevented them from going, or they moved out of their parents' house. 96% of people said that a life change is, nah, church isn't that important. 73% said that church or pastor-related reasons led them to leave. Of those, 32 said that church members seemed judgmental or hypocritical, and 29% said they did not feel connected to others who attended. 70% named religious, ethical, or political beliefs for dropping out. Of those 25%, they disagreed with the church's stance on political or social issues, while 20% said they were only attending to please someone else. Please don't missionary date. Don't, don't date someone to think you can make them a believer. It don't work well. Everyone good on that one? All right. Some of you are like, dang it, my plan fell through. I can change them. Sorry, ladies. Can't fix them. 
63% said that student and youth ministry reasons contributed to their decision not to go. Of those, 23% said they never connected with students in student ministry, and 20% said that students seemed judgmental or hypocritical. So really just students having the same reason as adults. So I put this in front of you of, of asking the question of why do we go to church? It seems so elementary. It seems so dumb to ask the question. Why? Because all of us are going to give the Sunday school answer, Jesus. But why are we actually coming to church? And I think a lot of this statistic actually has an underlying problem with it. I see it as a good problem, but unfortunately, a lot of you guys have handled it very weirdly. And I even handled it very weirdly when I got out of high school. And here's the thing, and, and it's a good thing we've talked about this, because I think a lot of us, the moment we leave, say, for us, we were, went to Christian school, we went to youth group, we did all these things, or our parents are very Christian, so our house is very Christianese, and we, we did the stuff, we were always at youth group, like I always make fun of, right? We got the Iwana vest, we did the, the Power Rangers, or whatever that other one is called, I don't know, um, Scripture Rangers, I don't know. Uh, I know I'm way off, but it's fine. What we, what we end up doing is we start coming into our own faith, right? Like 18 hits and we all become philosophers and deep thinkers and we start reading C.S. Lewis and then all of a sudden we think that we know the Bible front and back, right? Like we all just, we, we want to be like Gandalf with the long pipe and just talk about random stuff and riddle and we're like, we write Proverbs. And, and we all of a sudden, what happens is we get to this point where we start to become deep thinkers and then all of a sudden we go, hey, this institution we call church that I grew up in didn't answer some of my questions. So you know what? Instead of pressing in, you pressed out. You said, well, clearly they've had their chance to give me the answers. So now I want to go find it myself. And this is the weird thing. And I, and I say this because I've been down the path before, but then this is where we see the resurgence of what we call the house church movement right? We see the resurgence of, we don't need actual church. Let's just do Bible study as friends. It's okay if I skip Sunday because Friday night I hung out with some of my bros and talked about the Bible. Can I, I want to read this to you because as I pointed to C.S. Lewis, who's a phenomenal, phenomenal deep thinker and, and Christian, there's another one called J.I. Packer. And I, and I think he expresses church in such a beautiful way that I think some of us it might shine a new light on. And so let me read this for you. He goes... Essentially, the church is, was, and always will be a single worshiping community, permanently gathered in, true, in the true sanctuary, which is in heavenly Jerusalem, Galatians 4.26 and Hebrews 12.22-24, the place of God's presence. Here, all who are alive in Christ, the physically living with the physical dead, a.k.a. the church militant and the church triumphant, worship continually. In the world, however, this one church appears in the form of local congregations, each one called to fulfill the role of being a microcosm, a small-scale representation of the church as a whole. This explains how it is that for Paul, the one church universal is the body of Christ we see in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 1, 3, and 4, and so is the local congregations in 1 Corinthians 12. And as I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and on the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, Matthew 16, 18. And for so long, we always think that people are like, yeah, Peter, like he's the one building the church. On him we build it. He's the true bishop and the true pope and all this nonsense. 
What they forget to read is the verses right before it where Peter confesses that he is Christ. When Jesus looks at the disciples and says, but who do you say I am? Peter boldly stands up and says, you are the son of God. You are the Christ. And he says on that rock of a statement, on that rock, on that proclamation, I'm going to build my church. See, if you are a note taker and, and, and I've started trying to work with titles and stuff, the first thing that came to my mind that I really wanted to do with this series about deconstruction and questioning and losing our faith and walking away from the church is, is we need to talk about the poison that is convenience. We need to talk about the poison that is convenience. And this is why I've been focusing on the local church and its definitions and everything up until this point. Acts 20, 28 says this. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves and also to your flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he ordained, uh, obtained by his own blood. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, and says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love good works, not neglecting to meet together as a habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. Ephesians 2, 20, 22 says, build on this foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs like we just did with thankfulness in our hearts to God. If my point to you tonight is already not made clear, the local church is drastically important. And tonight, I want us to grasp this fact that when we ignore it, that when we walk away from it, that when we think it is no longer essential, we are creating a space in our life for our sinful desires to cultivate a lukewarm belief. See, we've either left the church due to inconvenience, as we saw the polls say. Right? We went to college, and there was no church like Indian Rocks, so I just watch Indian Rocks online. There's no church like my home church. Now I moved to a different state, so I'm just going to fellowship online. Or you know what? I just There's no real churches that are really conveniently placed by our campus or by my new apartment. I don't have to go. The convenience is such a big factor for you and I in this world where everything can be obtained in a glimpse. I can go on Instagram and see four or five different sermons that make my stomach hurt. I can go to Facebook and I can see 15 different services happening on a Sunday morning, which is awesome for the most part because most of the churches I follow are good. Right, but it's convenient. If I don't like what Indian Rocks is preaching, I can go to Starkey. If I don't like what Starkey's preaching, I can go over to Mission City. I, can, I have convenience but you know where that convenience also is a poison to us? It is when we, become when we become confronted or convicted by what the church stands for or speaks. I've had multiple conversations with young adults that come through our doors once, twice. All of a sudden, they want to meet up two months later. Haven't seen them in two months. Hey, like, where have you been? Like, we've been praying for you. Hope you're okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We just didn't agree with what you said, so we left. Um, I'm pretty sure scripture, since you seem so high and mighty on scripture, states, let's talk about it. If 
you don't agree with me or you have questions with what's being spoken by Pastor Aaron or myself or someone else, I don't know, be a decent human being and talk. But it's way more convenient to just leave. Oh, you're actually saying that Scripture teaches that there's a, there's a leadership structure for the local body of Christ? Wait, you're saying pastors and elders and deacons are actually ordained positions by God? Okay, well, we'll go start a home church where none of us have authority. It's convenient to go find like-minded people and never be wrong. It's convenient that the moment you feel conviction, you label it condemnation and you walk out the doors. Convenience is the state of being able to proceed with something with little effort and difficulty. Or if you're British, it means bathroom. Found that one out when I Googled it. Is that true? Convenience? Ha! I like that. Thank you, Nigel. (laughs) There's a fun fact for you. If you just stand up and go, convenience, we know one or two things. So, But, But did you pick up the definition? It says it's the ability to proceed with something with little effort or difficulty. It means that we really like it because it doesn't give us pushback. It doesn't challenge me. It's not really causing me to put in any effort. But man, what if we could find true contentment? The definition is really long for this one. It's being in a state of satisfaction. And as believers, where does our satisfaction come from? See, if we go to church because our contentment is found in our friends group here, our contentment is found in the fact that I'm very convenient, we're still going to fail. But when our contentment is found in the one who brings us perfect joy, then the waters of this life and the torment of this life can't touch your satisfaction because it's based on Christ and nobody else. And I know some of you in here are like, well, we know people who do a home church or something like that, or maybe they're just starting out. Well, I'm, I'm with you. I know I can sound harsh sometimes. So I, I, did, I, I found something that kind of describes where I sit with this whole thing. It says, any church, large or small, or home, should follow the institutions of 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13, regarding elders and deacons. Members of a house church should make sure that, A, there are recognized elders, and B, the elders are biblically qualified. These men should be held accountable even as they hold the group accountable to follow sound doctrine, Titus 1, 9. So pretty much what it's saying is, yeah, like, it's cool if you have a house church, but like, have leadership. Because again, a bunch of like-minded people meeting in a living room talking about like-minded things. Who's going where and who's leading what? I've heard some of the conversations y'all have in these Bible studies at home. It terrifies me. (laughs) I wish I could laugh with you because it's not funny and it hurts. But that's what happens when we don't follow sound doctrine. That's what happens when we don't have people who are being called by God to help lead you through scripture and life. That's what happens when you walk away from the local church thinking you know better. That's what happens when you seek convenience over true contentment. 
So the reason we're starting is with this topic is when we get the local church right, we find true contentment and not just self-justification for our own convenience. So some of you guys might be saying, well, hey, like I gotta, like I'm back at school, I gotta drive like 45 minutes to the most decent church that I can find. Okay, so that's the reason you stopped going? I'm driving 45 minutes to go fellowship with some sound believers. You better believe that. I worked at Camp Gilead in Polk County. Polk County's gotten a lot better, but I used to drive every weekend home. Selfish, there was a little bit selfish intent. I was making sure I was going to see Jess. This was way before. I was still trying to play the long game. But like, I went home to my home. I went to Starkey because I knew I trusted the teaching. I trusted the community. And so every weekend, I drove to make sure I was there on Sunday morning and to see her and to see Mama, right? But like... <laughs> I love the teaching of Starkey, and I could not find a church there, so I inconvenienced myself and drove all the way down to make sure I could get to that church. But are we really going to be a generation that's labeled by when life gets hard, we give up? Because right now, the statistics don't look good. When 96% of people who have left the church after high school said, you know what? Gas is a little too pricey. I mean, like, Jesus is worth it, but like at four bucks a gallon, I just won't tithe, I guess. I don't know, right? We're going to save money somewhere. Let me take you to this, to this account in 2 Kings chapter 22. King Josiah is ruling during the times of the split kingdom. He's ruling in, in the kingdom of Judea, and it says, and, and pretty much what happens on the front end is, is the, the king before him and the people that are currently in their, in their kingdom royally screwed up, disobeyed God, didn't listen to the prophets, would not repent and turn back to God Almighty. And so Josiah now as king is seeing this desolation. He's seeing his people completely not following the one true God of the Bible, the 66 books that are wholly inspired. For them, they were still being processed in. But they had scriptures, and here's where we can say that is true. Josiah, knowing that God had given his people his word, looked at his priest that he had in the kingdom and said, go find the book of the covenant. And so we pick up here, as one of the prophets had gone and picked up the book. And she said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the men who sent you to me, thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, Josiah had read it to his, pe to his people, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against these, this place and will not be quenched. See, Josiah being king could have easily said, well, the end's written. I'm just going to kind of rain and ride this one out and then just kind of hide in my little, my little hidey hole. He could have just said, you know what? I accept the feet, roll over, right? And it's done. Because it says, God says, it will not be quenched. Judgment is coming to his people. And I think there's a lot of us in our room in this room tonight, that you've, you've had that experience or you're walking through that season right now where it seems like giving up seems best. And for some of you, it's convenience speaking in your ear saying, just give up. You'll never find a place to call home. You'll never find that true love. 
That is Jesus, not your future spouse. You might find that here, but that's not what we're talking about. Right? Just give up. You're saved. Who cares if you go to church? You're saved. Who cares if you actually understand what the Bible is saying? You know what? That Bible study where they're going through the book of Enoch is way cooler than this place. Run. Right? But what did the king of Judah do? In verse 18, it goes on to say this. It says, But to the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord to the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard in verse 19, because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that you should become a desolate and a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back the word to the king. Josiah could have just called it quits. Josiah could have just sat in the convenience of going, well, we're too screwed up anyways. But what did Josiah do? He said, go find the word of God. Go find the scriptures and bring them. Because we're going to die, but I at least want to die knowing that I stand right with my God. And for some of us, we might not catch that right on the front end, but in the Old Testament, there's two ways people are laid in the grave. They're either just laid in the grave or they're laid to peace. And when we read that sweet, sweet truth that he was laid in peace, he was put in your grave in peace, we know that God brought him home. He was his. Though he still died, Though the punishment still came, though the times did not get better, he knew getting back and right with the Lord was better, was greater, was more satisfying than trying to find a way out at his convenience. See, it didn't change the outcome of the whole narrative. God still brought his justice, but it changed Josiah. I know the outcome. And there's a lot of people in here, or you know of people, who said, well, we're all going to die anyways. Live it up now. We know that we're all going to end up dead. But is death going to stop you from having life? Because we have the one book. We have the one account. I'm not chasing after the Pope and his words that they claim are the same as Scripture. I'm not chasing after a dude who used witchcraft to find some weird tablets in the wilderness. I'm not chasing after these things. I'm chasing after the completed gospel and the completed work of Christ Jesus, God who is faithful. I chase after him knowing that though I still will physically die, 
eternally I live forever, and one day I will be physically brought back to perfection to live with him. Amen. That, that is the hope. Screw convenience. Stop playing the wounded bird card. Stop thinking you're a martyr. The local church is where you find the people that are going to give you this hope. The local church is where you're going to find your faith challenged, but also grown. There are a lot of bad people out there. There is a lot of condemnation within even the Christian community. I get it. We talked about the story of the lady who wouldn't take the offering for me because I had a forearm tattoo. We get it. But I promise you that this is also the same place that when you find a true body of believers, it's conviction. And conviction doesn't just tear you down like condemnation. Conviction's tearing you down to build you up in the way that God wants you to be. See, I'm actually not against some of you deconstructing your faith. Because if you do that and you stay pressing into here, we can reconstruct together. And there are some things that we need to let go of. There are some things that we need to tear down. But you won't be able to rebuild the biblical way unless you are around a body of believers. See, so often we get hurt by the church or someone, and so we leave. So often we move and we can't find a church like back home or we either give up or watch something online. We get a new job that tries to make work on Sundays and so we'd rather skip church since God is more gracious than our new boss. How many times have I heard that? Well, like I'm new, so I didn't want to say anything because I didn't want to be made fun of, so I'll just work and like watch it online. What? You didn't even at least try? You didn't even at least speak up to go say, hey, I want to gather with some people who mm, I'm going to be spending eternity with at least one day a week. Like, it's nuts. We don't even try and stand up anymore. We start to venture more into our faith out of high school, and instead of staying humble, it's easier to either church hop or start our own thing so we don't have to face conviction or confrontation. You know how many times I've had to hear, well, we left there because like service was an hour and a half and it wasn't just an hour. Well, you know, like they only do hymns. They don't really do contemporary and like, ugh. Hey, that guy actually told me that like there's fruit if you're a believer. Like, what do you mean I can't claim to love Jesus and live like Satan in my life? I don't agree with that, so let's just go sit in my backyard. He told me that we're not perfect this side of heaven. I promise you that if you're close enough to Jesus, you don't have to sin. Like we start hearing these niche ideas and all of a sudden we're like meeting in a house just shy of a cult. You know how you safeguard against all of these things? Give up convenience. Give up easy. Christ didn't say, hey, don't worry. I carried the cross so you don't have to, so your life will be all roses and all these things, and you'll never experience hardship. 
pretty sure if he said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. I don't know about you guys, but like, I've done some of those Spartan races and just carrying like a stone in front of you a couple times sucks. Can't imagine carrying around that massive cross up a hill. Think about that analogy. Life's not easy. Life never will be. But it's worth it. And it's satisfying. And it's joyful when we lean into Christ who says, hey, lay it down at the cross. My yoke is light. Why does he say that? Because now he's carrying it with you. He might not always take you out of the situation. He may not always heal the pain right away, but he's now with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Josiah, you cried out. You repented. You lamented over everything that was taking place. You shall not see the destruction. You shall be laid to rest. You shall be in your grave in peace. He could have given up. He could have just laid over and died. And he ran head first to God. Hebrews 12, 3 through 6 tells us this. It says, consider him who endured for sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addressed you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary of when, he reproved, when you're reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Have you come to this truth? Do we really grasp the, the inconvenience that God went through? You think it was convenient for him to send his son to the cross? Do you think it was convenient for God to turn his back on his only begotten son to hear him cry out, Father, why have you forsaken me? My son's not even out of the womb yet, and I can't imagine for one moment turning my back on my child. How much greater is it that the eternal Son of God cried out, why have you forsaken me? The world went dark so that we could have light. So when we are suffering, when we're hurting, when going to church seems inconvenient, when doubt, fear, and reproof, and conviction, and confrontation come your way, realize that if you are a son or a daughter of God, then it's always for your good to press in and not out. When doing life gets hard and being around these people can be tough, press in. Don't press out. God loved us, loves us perfectly even when it's tough love, even when he has to chastise, even when he has to discipline. God is doing it to us for love. Maybe that 
pastor or leader who is calling you out on something that isn't bad when you begin to see it to grow you and not bury you. Our goal as leaders in the church is never to just break you down and leave you in the dust. Our goal is to, when we confront you, when we have difficult conversations, when we do these things, it's never for our own pleasure that we're like, oh, can't wait to have this conversation. I just had one this week, and I laid awake at night trying to figure out with God how in the world am I supposed to have this conversation with this person? Knowing full well that if it went wrong, this person could walk out the church. It's not a joy. What's a joy is when I have the conversation, and they break down, and we witness redemption. That is when joy kicks in. So maybe driving 30 minutes instead of 13 isn't so bad. See, it's only once we get over wanting comfort and easy living that we get humble enough to see that the local church is a gem that we need and not just a group we neglect. We need you just as much as you need us. The local church is the visible body of Christ. See, Christ's body is the church universal. It's all over. There's believers everywhere gathering every day of the week, praising the name of God. And on Sunday mornings, thousands upon millions of people are coming together all over this planet, praising Jesus. Guess what? You should be thankful you have the comfort to be able to walk in here with your Starbucks and nice clothes and be able to go, "Mm, amen, the AC's a little too cold, but I brought a blankie. Right? Those are our struggles when we go to church. In the two years here, we've only had one wing nut with a microphone outside. That's pretty good. I thought it was a tornado warning. I guess he was trying to fight the Holocaust. I don't know what it was. But that's one time in two years, probably one time in like 15. There's people on Sunday mornings getting up going, man, if someone sees me with this book, my head is off. We currently just had to end a mission trip for our school because of war and disaster happening in the country that we were supposed to go help serve the church in. That's the reality. You think they are going, mm, I got to walk outside today? Ugh, inconvenient. No, they're going, hey, an AK might be outside of my door. I'm still going. And yet, you know, the weather's bad, and people in Florida can't drive when it drizzles, so we're just going to stay home. <laughs> what? Gosh, and that part is true. I think it smells like rain, and people just go nuts. We're going to end here. Hebrews chapter 10. We read this earlier. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true hearts, full of assurance, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure Water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You will never find a perfect church. I've said this before. You want a perfect church? Go out here 
wait until Sunday at like 4 p.m. when no one's around, and then, yeah, there's like, it might be considered perfect. Because guess what? We ain't in it, and we're all sinners. We're imperfect people. But here's the hope that we unite around is the completed work of Christ alone. Not Mother Teresa, not Buddha, not Gandhi, not the Hare Krishna, not some crystals or stones or gems or sage, not Mother Mary, not the saints who have died in the past, not any weird cult leader that I can name 5,000 off the top of my head, not really, but they're there. The moment someone presents you the gospel that is not by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, for God's glory alone, leave. You want, you want a good reason to leave a church? They get the gospel wrong. Not that they think there might be a rapture or not a rapture. Not because one group raises their hands in worship and the other ones do the Baptist wing flap. The moment the gospel is a different message than what you know scripture teaches, then walk out the doors. But the one thing that should unite us and cause us to say, hey, out of even my own convenience, I'm still going to go and worship, it's because of the gospel. Hope is increased when we encounter more people who share that hope. You want hope for tomorrow? You want hope for the next five minutes? You won't find that by just having friends on Facebook. You won't find that by watching a church service online. You find that when you sit down at a table, do a meal together, sit under sound teaching together, and get to be with each other and say, hey, Jess, here's what I'm going through. Please, I need prayer. I need help. Be with me. It's a presence. That's why Jesus rose physically from the grave because one day we're going to be physically at home with him for eternity, glorifying, praising, working, doing whatever we want in eternity with God Almighty. Physically, in a real place because presence is important. Issues arrive when we begin to tweak the hope or start to cause division for the wrong reasons, you find true church unity and community when we begin to stand for correct doctrine and proper handling of Scripture. You might say this sounds counterproductive, right? Here's why we love church. Here's why your convenience should never stop you from gathering with the saints. Hebrews 10, verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is habit for some, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day draw near. See, when we set convenience aside and press into the body of Christ and the structures and leadership that he has instituted, this is the beauty that we see. We find people who love us and want us to do amazing things together. It says we gather together to be loved and to do good works. To be loved. Every single one of us in this room, whether we will ever admit it out loud or not, love is one of the top tier things that we struggle with. 
There is but one person who can love you perfectly. That is Christ. His death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, died on the cross for your sins and mine so that when we surrender our life to him, we are forgiven and given new life. And now we get to love each other the same way he loved us. Relentlessly. Selfish, or selflessly, not selfishly. <laughs> Easy. We also, we find a group of people encouraging us with hope and conviction. If all of us always just agreed in this room, that's, we're either all really good theologians, right? And we're all on the same track, or we should be scared. We should be able to have conversations and grow with one another. We're all in different phases of our walk. We're all in different phases of our life with Christ. So if you feel like you've outgrown this place, hey, have you ever thought to look to the person next to you and see how you can encourage them? If you feel like you're too good to be here, have you ever thought that there's someone sitting there that doesn't feel worthy to sit here? We find people who have the same confession of hope in Jesus and his salvation. So to start this series off, I want us to really think tonight about this reality. Are we going to let the poison of convenience weaken our faith? Or are we going to finally step up and fight for what's most important? As Pastor Aaron says, we believe some things. We don't just go, love God, love people. All right, see you next Sunday. No, we believe some things. We believe some things about God, that one triune God. We believe some things, the fact that one day he will rise us and all of us will be standing in judgment. And for those who are in Christ, Christ stands as our advocate. And for all who neglect the gospel will spend eternity physically in hell. If you want to know more about that, join us on Sunday. But tonight, will you find contentment in the gospel? Or are you just going to find convenience in your own self-justification? So if you don't have any questions at your table, we have them over there. And when I'm done praying, grab those and let's spend some time talking about it. All right? Let's bow our heads. Let's bow our hearts. Father, thank you for tonight. God, thank you for your grace, your mercy. Thank you that you are the one true God. Thank you that you have called us to be able to have a local congregation where we can meet, we can gather, we can discuss, and we can encourage all based off of your word and your truth. Lord, if there's a single person in here tonight who might be realizing they've never actually understood the gospel, they've been taught a wrong gospel, or they've just been treating the church so wrong, God, I pray that we can grow from that tonight. Lord, be with us in our conversations. Let us not leave here not being comforted by the gospel and challenged to go share the one true message with all those around us, God. Let us press into your church. Whether it's here at Indian Rocks or somewhere else, God, I just want all of these young adults to understand that they need to be somewhere. You've called us to gather. Lord, lead us all to a place of worship that we can gather with a family. Father, we love you. 